and welcome to our fourth episode of Wildfire Matters, the podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who manage and protect our public lands, dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, Jennifer and I are talking with John Skinner, BLM Fire National Lead for Fire Mitigation and Education Program. Welcome, John. Yeah, good afternoon. Welcome, John. So, John began his career with BLM Fire in 1991 at the Idaho State Office after graduating from the University of Idaho, my rival. I feel like this is going to be Boise, a tough one. Boise State graduate here. We've often talked about this. But aside from that, he has worked a variety of fire jobs throughout the 90s, including training, dispatch, public information, went into fire prevention and education, and furthered his duties into fire investigation and cost recovery. Um, when the nice National Fire Plan arrived in 2001, John began his career in community assistance, which provides funding for assistance to prevent, mitigate, and educate about wildland fire. John became the national lead at the National Interagency Fire Center for Community Assistance and Fire Investigation Cost Recovery in 2011 and is still here. <laughs> Welcome. You say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> of course not, John. Um, but as we've been doing with everybody, you know, it's kind of interesting to hear people's backgrounds and stories, how they got started in fire. You didn't have, you, I mean, you didn't really put yourself through college and get a fire job, right? In fire. You did it a little differently. So I, I definitely did. And, you know, most people start the, at the lower level and it gets in their blood and they fight fire and make their way through college. But I kind of moved right into our state office. It was one of the few jobs available. And so wasn't on those summer fire crews, was mostly just trying to get my foot in the door um, when I started out. But um, yeah. Yeah. So how did you work? end up working for the BLM? Well, I, I got a decent grade on the civil service test <laughs> and they uh, gave me an interview and, and, and I got my foot in the door. Um, you know, my brothers fought fire up in Alaska in the late 60s and early 70s and they were part of the um, original Biffsy fire crews that they ran out of the fire center when we used to actually put out fires from that location. But um, yeah, graduated from U of I, the Princeton of the Palouse, as we call it up there, <laughs> in 89. And um I had a communications degree and it just wasn't a lot of people dying to, to hire me, you know, at least not for a decent wage, you know, um, came, uh, started into journalism and other jobs like that. And if you can believe it, that I think the starting salary then was 17, five a year. And so I just kind of kept looking and, and basically got in there at, uh, at the Idaho state office. But, um, yeah, spent a few, um, summers from there on the fire crew and, um, you know, I had an interesting experiences there, but, um, yeah, it was overall, it was, um, was a good way to get in the door. Oh, interesting experiences. We have to build on that. I was going to say, everyone else has shared their interesting experiences. You have to. Yeah, so <laughs> it, the first fire was definitely interesting. So being, you know, from the Idaho State Office and not part of the fire crew, I headed over there to do a detail. And we had had a firefighter slip on top of an engine. I think it was in East Idaho earlier that year. And basically everyone was banned from getting on the top of engines until we came up with a job hazard analysis and decided how to do it safely and got the non-slip plates up there. And so as I rolled out of the fire by the parking lot, my boss stopped me. He was a pretty smart guy, really intense person, and said, if I see you on the 6 o'clock news on the back of a fire engine, you'll be fired on Monday. 
And so I thought, well, that was a nice parting gift for, <laughs> for heading out to the old crew. So we, we rolled out to a fire over on Weezer, and I was in the carryall behind the fire engine, and they drove up to the fence and cut it. And the kid next to me jumped on the back of the engine and said, get on. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not supposed to get on the back of the fire truck. And he said, get on now. And maybe a couple other adjectives he threw in there. And so, <laughs> so I was a little freaked out as we drove across that field. And then, unfortunately, I looked down and the drip torch that was mounted on the back of the engine was leaking fuel. And, of course, the fire, the field was hot enough to, to grab some of that fuel that was rolling back and grow forth on the bumper. And the back of the truck caught fire. <laughs> Well, at that point, I didn't want to look like a big sissy from the state office, so I just kind of kept my mouth shut, and he was looking forward and starting the pump and getting ready to roll, and I kept looking at it, and the fire would kind of roll to one side of the bumper, then roll back over towards my leg, and finally, I had no more room left, and I finally looked at him and said, hey, Reed, is is this normal? And he said, (laughs) stop the truck now, and got the fire extinguisher out, and they basically had to shoot me down and the rest of the engine down before we took off, and so... Yeah, they all had a good laugh over it later on at dinner that night, for sure. It was it was, uh, it was entertaining. I bet it was. They're like, welcome to fire, John. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> it's all for you to see how you would handle that experience. Exactly. I'm yeah. sure it was planned, right? <laughs> yeah. And you didn't get on the 6 o'clock news, so that's even better. That was good. Yeah, avoided the media that day. So, so yeah, not, not a firefighter <laughs> went into prevention. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> He's not a firefighter. Um, so why is why prevention? I mean, why is prevention so vital to our program? You know, um, if you look at the most recent fire seasons, they're just getting, um, you know, worse and worse. And I know some previous speakers have talked about, you know, climate change and how we basically have fire seasons year round. And, and, and our firefighters, you know, have their hands full with lightning caused fires and, and they don't need any more, you know, human starts. You look at some of them, recent fires, you know, um, like the Marshall Fire over in Boulder and and certainly the Camp Fire down there that affected Paradise. And, you know, we're not talking anymore about millions of dollars in damages and dozens of homes, but that Camp Fire was, I think, pushing, you know, billions of dollars in almost 14,000 homes and 85 people lost their lives. And that used to be an, an exception to the rule, but those stories are becoming more and more prevalent and all over the news. And you know, we've got a lot of um, important, we've got a lot of kids out there fighting fire. We have a lot of public at risk and a lot of people moving towards near wildland areas and building in those areas. And they're more at risk than ever if, if we um, if we keep getting more human cause starts. So so just critical, I guess, basically to to get out there and, and do what you can to prevent fires. And then and then also mitigate those fires. You know, um, we watch the media and, and members of Congress and other people use the words prevention and mitigation kind of interchangeably but you know in the in the fire service we all talk about prevention as preventing human ignitions from starting preventing a fire from starting and mitigation of those kind of actions to to you know to limit the impact of that fire once it's already started and so both things extremely critical for our firefighters to have a safe environment in to fight around you know a defensible space around their home you can help them help you on a wildfire but also you know, kind of reduce their workload because uh, we get a lot of multiple start days and and um, we suffer from fatigue. And, 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 you know, recently we've had issues hiring enough firefighters. I mean, hiring has become a, a big issue. And so trying to staff up and pay them right. And, and those things uh, all matter. We don't need, uh, don't need any extra fires out there for sure. Right. So there's a lot of information out there for people to 
find out ways to prevent fires. Um, what for our area? What do you see for the BLM mainly? I guess um, the biggest cause of human caused fires. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, really for us, it, it's roadside starts, and um, you know we also get into debris burning and ag- agricultural burns and equipment fires. And, um, and then a recent trend in the last few years, which you two know well about, is, is shooting fires. And, um, you know, those, those roadside fires, they're, they're certainly some of the most preventable ones. And, and we're having a lot of success also working along roadsides to make them a little less flammable. But, you know, folks that are just um, uh, you have vehicles driving and parking on dry grass or you haven't maintained your trailer properly or you're letting your chains drag, perhaps your tires aren't roadworthy or they're worn so just taking those little extra precautions so you're not dragging a flaming piece of metal down the, the freeway and starting those fires. But, but what's also cool is we're working with departments of transportation around the country. That's why this job's so interesting. It's just so many different people that you meet, different agencies you get to work with. But, you know, to treat along the roadsides and reduce the flammable vegetation so when people do throw sparks or little hot chunks of, of metal from the chain they're dragging or whatever it might be, it doesn't start a fire, but when we also widen those roadways by doing a little veg treatment on both sides, it can serve as a nice fire break to help our crews catch fires before they jump the freeway and head over to the next hill and threaten threaten even more homes. So mitigation to prevent fires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you hit the double whammy there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you're talking about clearing on the side of the road, how far is that? Are they clearing on each side of the roadway? You know, it doesn't seem to take that that much, really. I mean, 25 yards. Um, really seems to do it. And, and then you get the actual roadway itself. So you, somehow you get, you know, around 100, 150 feet. A lot of our fires are rangeland fires and they don't produce the ember showers that some of the forest fires do. So sagebrush and those things aren't really, um, unless there's just an extremely high wind, you know, aren't going to carry across that roadway. It serves as a good good fire break, but that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, and I know, um, yeah, if, unless the vehicle starts on fire or something and so on, on the side of the road, then it might take off. And I know clearing takes a lot of work and a lot of time and, and a lot of maintenance. So for people to be aware and to maintain their vehicles properly, probably the best prevention measure we can have out there. Yeah, exactly. And on some of those other fires, you know, it's it's just like you said, it's, it's a maintenance issue and making sure all that you know, equipment you might use on the farmer ranches in good working order and and also, you know, preparing your field and debris pile, you know, with a clearance and being ready to ready to burn it and have enough people on hand and, and to stick with that fire until it until it's out. But um, you know, it's just common sense and it's what's nice about today's world is you can Google anything and right. find a safe way to do it. And otherwise I'd probably bit of you know, electrocuted myself a long time ago doing home, <laughs> home repair options. But, you know, everything's out there for people, and that's what's kind of nice in the world we live in today. You can certainly see all the ways to prevent fires. But and yeah. some, Oh, good. I was going to say, and some of these actions are very simple and easy to do, um, and just thinking about that before you drive off, check your chains. Before, I mean, those things, just take the time to, to do that before you leave just to ensure that those things are safe and secure. Even your um, debris, making sure you have the water, just simple things to do before. Not always. We're always in a hurry. Right. Exactly. You know, and um, our investigators are great at, they're really amazing people. They can determine where a fire started and, um, you know, and how quickly or which direction it spread. They can 
figure out the cause of the fire. And so those folks are critical to go out there and inform our prevention campaigns. You know, what is it about people driving along roadways or debris piles that's catching people and, and having them start a fire? Because you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and tends to start a fire. And, and we want people to enjoy their public lands and have a great experience out there. So, you know, just want to kind of teach them the little ins and outs and things they just uh, may not think of when they when they get in the car and leave home. Right. Yeah, I've been investigated fires for many years and worked with you in that program as well. And yeah, so what we found in investigation uh, does help the fire prevention program because if we can determine the cause of fires and where they're happening and their specific areas, you see more types of fires, then you can design your prevention education campaigns towards that and work with utility um, departments and utility or... um, transportation departments to mitigate these issues too, where you may not be able to actually prevent them like from people driving through and that kind of thing. So investigation is very important. I know I had to be interviewing you two. So you happen to, I'm sitting across <laughs> from two of our better investigators in the BLM and um, you know, it really is an art out there and it's um, like, like I said, it's just critical so we can figure out what, uh, what's causing the fires. And the other thing too, it seems to be a theme <clears throat> across all of our podcasts and speakers is partnerships um, that's been themed the whole time is those important partnerships are important to get the work done. And so we can't always just do it ourselves. We have to have partners to do that. So it's been a common theme across our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. And that that's really what the whole community assistance thing is about, you know, and reaching out to people we've never reached out to um, before, you know, not just fire chiefs and county commissioners and those people, but partnering with people like, like power companies, you know, they're, um, they're concerned. They saw what happened down in California, you know, with some of the bankruptcies and those type of things that went on after those big catastrophic fires. And and public utilities commissions are putting some pressure on them to do everything they can. And, you know, we work for the public and, and we need to go partner with companies like that and work closely with them to figure out how we can reduce those fires. Because, um, you know, bringing power to people's homes is is somewhat inherently dangerous. And, and, um, and so is fighting fire. And I remember going to a meeting here with some of the some of the linemen and our fire crews and those people um they're just great people out working on the line in a job that's also dangerous just um doing hard work out there and so I think we're we're just trying to bring them closer and making sure we're working safely with them when we're both on the fire together and um you know doing what we can to sort of solidify those partnerships. Yeah, and part of that partnership or a partnership is partnering with the public and community assistance. And just, um, you know, them public members preventing fires and also mitigating fires through um, hardening your home, which is like a little buzzword that we were going to ask you about. <laughs> what is hardening your home? Exactly. So we, you know, we have that on the, on the website now. I think it's going to be shared as part of this, but um, it's so critical. And the research has shown that really you should start from the structure and work out that creating, you know, Fire-wise or fire-resistant landscaping is certainly important, but most homes burn down from embers that land on or near the structure, and so that structure's got to be able to take those embers and and or actually repel those embers and not let them find something flammable that'll eventually burn their homes down. So, a lot of homes burn down well after the main fire front has moved through from just tiny embers that find a little spot in a shake roof and eventually ignite and ignite the structure and, and, and burn the whole thing down. And so, you know, when you're when you're looking at that around your home, think about 
look at where leaves gather or snow gathers during firestorms. And those are the kind of areas, which way the wind blows from. And a look at the openings in your home and certainly around the base of the structure. But can your home survive that ember shower in that first 5, 10, 15 minutes of the fire as it passes through? If it can, you, you have a good chance of, you know, of helping that home to survive. And, and a lot of that type of stuff, making sure it's ember resistant, besides replacing the roof, is not that expensive. And it's more of just a maintenance issue of keeping that roof clean and those gutters clean and that vegetation, you know, non-flammable, low-growing ground covered near the base of the of the window. And there's certainly more expensive things like going with double-pane windows and, and those types of things. But but I think there's a lot of simple things homeowners can do, that, and it's fun to educate them about it. That's what's great about this job is you, you can have a catastrophic wildfire, but you don't have to lose homes every time if, you, if you're prepared. Right. So with Wildfire Awareness Month coming up, it's a good time for people to think about hardening their homes and preparing for fire season. In some of the areas of the country, we're already in fire season. Southwest is burning. Southern area had quite a few fires. Um, but that kind of wakes the rest of the country up to say, oh, you know, we got to get ready. <laughs> and um, May has kind of been that month for time for people to prepare. What's the history behind Wildfire Awareness Month? How did it get started and, and your involvement in it? Yeah, the... Um I, th I think someone had the idea and they had a day or two down in California in the mid nineties, but we kind of dreamed that up in, in Idaho. And I think it was former governor Dirk Kempthorne. We signed wildfire awareness week or wildfire prevention week. And we made it the third week of June. And that was in 1999. And um, a few years later, other States kind of caught on to it. And the month eventually migrated over to May. Cause we figured that was the time to, you know, before any fires are really hitting the time to really think about, preventing fires if you're heading out to camp or hike and those type of things and also to um to get some work done around your home because we want you to you know to get all that done before there's any any smoke in the air so you know in today's world you need sort of an event and, and you need visuals and you need um something to put on social media and all that stuff and and get people thinking about wildfire season you know way in advance and, and it's um it's really been a collective great effort i think across the western united states of of states um you know, sponsoring all kinds of community cleanup days and media events and um, bringing Smoky Bear, of course, around and, and just everything they can do to say, hey, you know, it's time to get active as summer's on the way. Right. And I know the National Fire Protection Association also, NFPA, through FireWise, promotes usually that first Saturday in May, right, is a community cleanup kind of a day and they have a lot of things on their website for organizing, getting organized, your community, your, your neighborhood to um, have events to, to get ready for fire. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, like Jennifer said earlier too, that's, it's all about partnerships. And so every agency is contributing something and that, that community cleanup day, I think is a, is a great idea. And that's, that's why this is really one of the funnest jobs in the BLM is, you know, we're, we're, we've got some funding finally, and we have the direction to go out and provide it to people, provide a little seed money to get them active around their homes and facilitate, you know, them you know, doing wildfire risk, risk reduction activities by clearing vegetation and, like you said, hardening their home and looking at places where embers might start there. But, but basically, you know, just 
just basically facilitating community action. I don't think people want the federal government or anyone else to, maybe their local fire chief, but to, to get in their business too much, but basically just to educate them so they can make an informed decision and, and hopefully get active before it's too late. Right, and really does take a community. If, if you want your home to survive, you're going to rely on the other people around you too as well. And some people may not be able to or um, have the ability to physically. So it's a good opportunity to help your neighbors as well, have them prepare and be prepared by helping them out. And there's, yeah. a, <clears throat> there's a lot of literature online, like Carrie said, FireWise, um, Ready, Set, Go is another stuff. There's a lot of literature online um, on simple things you can do to um, harden your home and clean up around your property. Um, and a lot of them is a weekend event. So it's not like a lot of work and a lot of effort or a lot of money. Some of it's just cleaning around and like a weekend event, have a barbecue and clean up around your property. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Advertise food. People will come. <laughs> For sure. Right. Come to our event. Our buffet is better than yours. That's yes. right. But getting into um, another topic, just uh, uh, going to ask a little bit about um, what you've seen in your years of service that stands out maybe as a cultural shift change or a way we communicate or implement, or implement mitigation or prevention messages or projects. Yeah, you two will know this as good as anybody. The obvious answer is probably, you know, social media. And we seem to live in a world that, you know, that wants quick visuals, videos to learn how to do things. And so you need to be savvy to bring, to put those messages out and maybe to facilitate get-togethers and communities and, and subdivisions even of of working together and communicating with each other. But um, I think be, beyond that, you know, from the fire agency standpoint is, is um, you know, we just see... We're getting a big influx of, of money this year. We got a you know got a huge amount more money in two thousand one when the national fire plan was was released. But the cultural shift is that we're trying to you know push some money out the door to help communities and, and get them going in the right direction. And I think the other cultural shift is that um, you know you just you just see you just don't see fires that don't affect homes anymore. There's so many people that want to live and recreate near wildland areas, and even before the pandemic, but more so now where you can almost live anywhere. And so, you know, it's just critical to, to reach out to those people. And, and cause a lot of them may be rookies may, may not understand fire safety. And a lot of them are out there just recreating in public land and maybe are a little bit new to that game too. So, you know, just kind of everything you can, I guess, to, to reach out to them. But, um, yeah, I don't know that I, th I think beyond that is, is, um, you know, I think people are realizing that, that these, some of these fires, you know, they're, they're, um, they're very difficult to stop and they're going to happen. And so it's the, the most important thing isn't going to be the firefighting organization. It's really going to be what you do around your home. So it's kind of a, um, maybe a cultural shift, to even a little bit more personal responsibility. You know, you got that trophy home out there and you want to be independent and do what you want and live where you want. Well, that comes with a responsibility to make sure that property is, is safe, certainly for our firefighters. And, um, you know, we always tell people, you know, do the math, you know, I, we have a front over here, you know, Boise front, it's could catch on fire. We probably have a dozen trucks up there in a half hour and, you know, maybe 10 or 15 more within the hour. But, you know, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of homes. So there's, there's not going to be a fire truck available for every home. And so those steps that you take around your house, we're trying to tell people that's what's going to make the difference. And that, that may be the difference between our firefighters choosing to, to defend your home versus another home. So you, you kind of, kind of want to, encourage your neighbor because you want you don't want his home to catch fire right next to yours but you also want to be the one that maybe the firefighters say yeah this person's done what he's supposed to and 
I think we can safely defend this and escape if we need to. And we have safety zones here and egress and ingress and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we're going to be living with fire for (laughs) many years to come. And it seems we're seeing more extreme fire years, uh, longer fire years, longer fire seasons, which is why we went to the term fire year, because it seems like we're seeing fires year round now pretty much everywhere. Um, still seasonal, seasonally in some areas of the country, but, but we still are, are dealing with them in some aspect around the country. And so it's very important for people to come become fire adaptive, like fire adaptive communities as well. And there's information about that online and be prepared because even if we prevent all fires, which we won't <laughs> through fire, through your excellent, um, notes of, of fire prevention ideas, but um, even if we were able to, we still have lightning fires and we're still going to have to deal with those. And those can sometimes be the more dangerous and critical ones because you have multiple starts and you won't have 10 trucks because they're going to be spread out (laughs) trying to get all these other fires. So what you can do around your home and your community to help our firefighters is very important. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our land and BLM is rangelands and it starts, fires start easily in those grasses and spreads quickly and can be, um, you could be standing right next to it and probably not put out several of those fires, you know, with a little wind on that day. So, you know, just absolutely critical to protect those. A lot of people depend on those rangelands for their livelihood and, and they recreate out there and, you know, may not look like there's a lot going on out there in the desert, but there really is, you know, what is it, 350 different plants and animals are dependent on that ecosystem. We're seeing a lot of those, you know, threatened by climate change and, and these fires. So um, I think a lot of people, you know, see the call to action to prevent fires and, you know, do the kind of mitigation work that will keep them, that help us catch them before they burn things that we don't want them to. And, yeah, it's just a, just a public education challenge. Yeah, it's like it's personal responsibility when you think about doing something. Just think about what the consequences and and yeah, like you're looking at rangeland, and you look, oh, there's nothing out there, but there is a lot out there that wildfire impacts and actually takes away to where generations won't be able to enjoy those same locations if we lose that landscape. Yeah, exactly. And one thing you know we always get is, well, why don't you you see all that cheat grass and those invasive species out there that are kind of ruining our rangelands and. Can't you just burn that off and then let the natural stuff grow back? Well, really that, uh, you know, we're not like the forest. We have a much different message. We have a, you know, invasive species problem. We're trying to keep fire out of there because, um, you know, a lot of those invasives, those invasive annuals, they'll outcompete the plants that were desirable plants, the bunch grasses and, um, you know, and, and grow a lot quicker. And they'll, they'll basically burn a field of cheatgrass and you'll just get more cheatgrass. It'll spread even further into the sagebrush and things that we don't want to, uh, to spread into. Right. And then with our drought situation that we've been dealing with year upon year, it's hard to, I mean, we try to seed some of these areas um, that burn and, and sometimes it just, sometimes it doesn't take because we just don't have the water to, to, and, and, you, and the com- competition with the other grasses, the cheat grasses and such makes it really hard for that to regenerate. Does. It's just a tough challenge. It's all a luck of the draw in the weather that year when you plant those, uh, anyway, those desired species out there. But yeah. Yeah. But speaking about plants, I mean, we've talked about hardening your home and there's things you can do around your home. But that just reminded me about, you know, firewise landscaping or, or things you can do with your landscape too. 
yeah. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I didn't mean to, you know, to, to lessen that too much because that landscaping is, is also critical. I guess I would start with those first five feet around the base of the structure. It's just critical not to have flammable, high-growing, you know, <laughs> high oil content plants right there where they can really put a lot of heat against the side of your house. And so those low-growing, non-flammable kind of ground cover plants are, are critical. And then you have to look at, you know, what kind of trees do you have around there? Will they produce embers? You know, do I need to take some of the limbs off within 15 or 20 feet of my roof? Certainly uh, important, but but also just converting some of your landscape to maybe a, even a low watering option. You know, get a double benefit with some xeriscaping and create some some plants and, and, and use a rock mulch and, and a drip irrigation system that, that really is easy to maintain. Because a lot of homeowners, you know, they think, well, I'll probably be home when a wildfire hits and I'll be able to turn on my sprinklers and, and um, you know, fight the fire off. Everything will be good. And I'll, if I evacuate, I evacuate. But a lot of folks aren't home and, and they need to evacuate quicker. And, and um, sometimes there's no water pressure to turn on that that hose. Um, so, so yeah, you, you've got to make sure that that landscaping is, is you can maintain it and you can afford to maintain it and and that you, um, you plant the right stuff. And, you know, you've both done great work around Idaho with those firewise gardens. It's so nice to give homeowners basically a plant list of the kind of plants that we think are, are, are great around the, around your house or whatever. So they, and, and where to find, where to purchase them and, and, and basically a, a view that, you know, their, your house can be a still aesthetically pleasing to the eye and, and safe from fire. So we're not asking for you to, to basically for a barren landscape around the home. It can still look, you know, pretty, just need to choose the right plants right like the idaho botanical gardens has a great firewise garden to look at and there are probably other ones around the country to check it out because yeah some people think oh zero escaping that means nothing and it looks barren and it's going to be hot and it's not going to look nice my neighbors are not going to be happy that i have no grass <laughs> or some of so. them are like i don't want to see my neighbors so i don't want to trim my trees back yeah. or something so <laughs> there that's, you go yes. That's probably more like yes. it. Yeah. But yeah, firewise, so the landscaping is important and building materials if you are building um, and just doing things around your home. And what about um, just general preparedness that helps your home? But um, if there is a fire, what do people need to know, like be prepared for? Yeah, and another great question in today's fires, you know, because we we see so many people and homes, um, you know, at, at risk, and so you you really you really got to have a a wildfire action plan, and you can you know, you can Google ready for wildfire or wildfire action plan and go through that list, but important to have a kit that's ready to go to discuss what you're going to do with your family and where you're going to meet afterwards, all the critical phone numbers and medication. Think about your pets and what you're going to do with them to get them, you know, out of the wildfire. But just taking those, you know, your evacuation route, obviously. And it's important to evacuate when when firefighters tell you to because they have enough, you know, things to worry about. So, yeah, I couldn't couldn't stress that more. Just like we need to think before we go out on the landscape so we don't start a fire or we need to act around our homes before there's smoke in the air. You need to be prepared to deal with an emergency situation, you know, before it happens. And, and your whole family, especially the children, um, you know, need to be prepared to and know, know what the plan is. Yeah, and that's good advice, not just for wildfire, but for any natural hazards that we seem to see 
yearly around the country. Just um, we always have to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. So what are some th- some ways people can prepare for wildfires besides these things that you mentioned? Are there other way other things that we may have not brought up today for the prayer? Um, you know, I think I've mentioned most of them. The um, you know, the, the the having the plan in place and the resistant landscaping and and building materials. But um, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot more that we really you know reach out with with you know, for people around there. But one thing I guess would be to, there's different, if you can't replace your roof, there's ways to, to treat your roof. And there's also, you know, ways to set up sprinkler systems so that you could easily lay them out and have them sprinkling on your house as you left would certainly make a difference. So I think what we tell people is that every home is different and that you should talk to whoever you feel comfortable with, but um, local fire chiefs or, or great sources or, or some of the federal or state and and other volunteer rural fire departments, but bring them out to your home. Let them take a look at it, and they just know a lot about fire and, and what to expect and, you know, can talk about which which side the fire is likely to come from and where your most vulnerable points are And because you know, we all don't have the, you know, unlimitless um, amount of money and time, and so you, you kind of want to focus your, your resources where they're needed most. Yeah, some of those fire departments will do a home assessment, like John talked about, just checking things around your house and kind of give you not necessarily a scoring, but things that you can improve on. And, you know, also suggestions um, to for maintenance or any of the materials that you can use around your your decking and your roofing or your um, gutters. So, yeah, a simple home assessment doesn't take very long. And then also it's just a maintenance thing, too, as well. So I think just taking the time. I guess the one thing I would say go back to is, I think I miss vents and that so the attic vents and soffit vents and even the open areas underneath the, you know, the, the foundation of the house or underneath the deck, really important to screen those in. I think we're, we're recommending an eighth inch wire mesh screen to prevent those embers from finding a good spot inside the home and definitely, you know, would burn it down later. So, um, so um, yeah, screening those openings is, 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 is critical. Yeah, all those little cracks because that, that is something that you might miss. And I know that has caused houses to burn before and I've seen a couple of those um, types of fire, fires and ho- homes happening because of that so yeah that's important yeah you're you're both point. you're both firefighters and and our firefighters have seen what it's like to lose a home and it's it's sad and you know you you look at that you look at that campfire down there in, in paradise and I think they said I can't remember what it was but I think almost 4,000 or something of those homes they did not have insurance so imagine all not only losing your home but not having it insured and starting basically over from scratch you know those are um those are sad stories and, and working with these communities we've heard plenty of them it's so uh what makes this job really so critical and and important you know what i mean it's really a, a rewarding job and especially when we see those examples of a fire that that affects a community or subdivision that did take the right steps beforehand and really reduce the you know the the loss yeah, the other thing I was going to talk about is wood piles. Everyone, like in the wintertime, wants to put that wood right next to the door on the deck. And so, yeah, that's great, but just make sure you move that out. So just the simple things, like you would think, oh, the wood pile, well, the ember will get into that. And, and you know, so just the little things. And those checklists that you can look will tell you all of those things to look for. Yeah, there was a great video that was circulating a while back about, um, was there was a fire crew, a fire truck, and you could see ember, parked at a house you could see embers like flying at the house and they were checking things out and they noticed on the front porch there was a broom 
um, and it caught on fire. And luckily, there was somebody there to run up and grab it and throw it away from the house. But just that one little thing could have caused the house to burn down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, do the simple things and keep uh, keep yeah. it maintained, especially when you see that day coming that's just hot and dry and windy. Yeah. And boy, if we got to start, you'd, um, they're the kind of days that make our firefighters nervous. But yeah. Yes, for sure. But you talked about community assistance. So what are some of the projects um, that the program can help, like with four people, um, the community assistance program? Yeah, great question. Like I said, it's just one of the fun. It's, it's always fun to hand out money, but, but also fun to teach people things they don't know. But yeah, you can apply to us uh, as universities and nonprofits, local, county, fire departments, state organizations, We'll provide money to help you write a plan for wildfire for, you know, either your home or a larger area, what we call community wildfire protection plans. So we can help you with planning. We can also fund education efforts to, to get your citizens so they, they understand the kind of risk reduction actions that will give them the most benefit, teach them about ways to prevent wildfires. And then also we can fund mitigation work. So like I said, we're not, we're not probably going to, going to do all the work for you. But when we're doing a fuels treatment and removing vegetation, it's much more effective if we treat the other side of the fence. So when we provide a little bit of that seed money to people and get a larger, you know, fuel break, basically around a critical subdivision or a critical area for our firefighters, it just goes that much further. So yeah, we can fund all of those types of things. And we, um, you know, kind of solicit, um, applications from people around all the different 11, 12 Western states that where the BLM is mostly working in and, and, um, and pass out those funds. And we let the communities come to us with their plan. You know, we don't want to, um, we don't want to be running everything like this. We want them to take ownership in it and, and have their own, you know, um, own activities together because it really, you know, like you said earlier, it does take a village. I think it was on a different, different podcast, but it really does take an effort from everybody, uh, not just the firefighters. So how can people find out information about community assistance and getting help? Yeah, you can, you can go to uh, the BLM uh, website out there at the fire center. Um, certainly search that, but really just contacting your local office. That's what's kind of cool about BLM is we have those folks are on the ground and we give them a lot of, of power, a very decentralized organization in a lot of ways, but we hire mitigation education specialists at the local level and let them work with communities. And so I, I really would just encourage you to, you know, folks to contact their local BLM office and see what funding might be available. Cause it's likely there's already an organization or an effort in your area that you could be part of and, and join in and, and maybe get some help like, you know, a chipper day or something where if you did some, some work around your house, someone would chip that thing, uh, you know, chip those limbs up and, and haul them away for you. Yeah. Makes great mulch. That yeah. you don't want next to your house <laughs> if you're in fire prone area. Exactly. <laughs> but it's good for your garden and other plants away from your house. <laughs> you mentioned fire mitigation plans. There are plans for the counties as well, too, right? So people could go and look and see what type of risk they're at in their communities. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. I, that's what's um, with all these GIS tools that we have available today and we know the kind of vegetation that's on the landscape, where the where the homes are, where the you know probable ignition sources are, and we've developed risk ratings. States have really jumped on board too, and and the feds are working with them. 
But so you can kind of see your relative risk. Am I in a red area that is really fire prone with a lot of values at risk and the kind of weather and topography and fuels that are really, really a scary fire environment? Am, am I at high risk or am I, you know, relatively over here in the, in the blue, yellow, green area where, where, um, can still have a wildfire, but maybe not as likely. So I think it's a great way for homeowners to kind of see relatively where they are. But I would also caution people against getting too much into what color your home sits in <laughs> is because, you know, it's like the Oregon trail fire here in Boise occurring right in the middle of town. I, I think there's little small pockets of potential disaster in a lot of areas that may not be rated as high risk, but boy, on the right day, the right wind and at the right time of year, you could certainly have homes are, you know, homes at risk. So don't just think that because you, maybe your home falls in a, in, in a less, uh, less high risk zone or whatever, that it's, that it's safe. Well, and these plans are done how many years? So it, it could change pretty quickly too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I mean, yeah, it really depends on what's out there. So it's our landscapes changing constantly. Yeah. So probably the best thing like Jennifer suggested, like contact your local fire department. Maybe there's somebody that can come out and give an assessment or they, they might have a better idea too around your area, what risk you have. Yeah, exactly. And those are the kind of, kind of people you want to talk to. And so, you know, that's, what's kind of interesting about BLM lands in general, you know, we're so interspersed with other lands that we work closely with those fire chiefs and the communities. Cause we have to, we're not like a big, you know, forest that's over here or a national park or a fish and wildlife refuge. We're just kind of interspersed with, with other lands and, a lot of these small town communities, you know, are BLM firefighters and, and are going to school with the local ranchers and farmers kids at the same school. You know, when when the fire bell rings, it's it's not a bunch of, um, you know, it's not a bunch of beltway bureaucrats running out from D.C. <laughs> putting out your fire. It's it's um, it's really local kids and um, that sign up with the BLM and, and fight fires every summer. And so, you know, you want to do whatever you can, of course, to make sure they're they're in the safest environment they can be. That's a great way to end. Yeah. Very nice. Yes. I mean, it is about protecting our firefighters, protecting our public, but also protecting our firefighters and things that people can do to help. And with fires becoming more severe and um, we're needing more firefighters, seeing that um, reduction possibly, but hopefully we'll, we'll be able to hire more people as they see the critical need and, and yeah, it's, it's just important to be able to do what you can to, to help us help you. Exactly. Not sure there's a better time <laughs> to get into the fire service. A lot no. of jobs available, adding a lot of firefighters and people like, you know, like what, what both of you used to do too, you know, mitigation, education specialists, working with communities. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of opportunities these days. Well, thank you for joining us for our fourth episode of Wildfire Matters. And taking the time to tell us more about your program and why it's important to wildland fire management. We appreciate all you do and all the fire prevention education mitigation specialists are doing to help better educate the public about human-caused fires and finding ways to mitigate the impacts of wildfires. Yes, thanks, John. Thanks for joining us today. And if anybody out there has questions, comments, or even suggestions on different topics for our podcasts, please email them to blm underscore fa underscore NIFC underscore comments at blm.gov. And please use Wildfire Matters podcasts in the subject line. To learn more about NIFSI or the BLM, please visit our website at www.nifc.gov and follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
Thank you all for listening. Please join us next time when we spark a conversation with the chair of the National Multi-Agency Coordinating Group, or NMAC, to talk about what they do. They do things like national preparedness levels and how wildfire resources are coordinated when fires get big. That'll be a good conversation. Yes. Until Until then, then, stay stay safe safe and be wildfire aware. And prevent wildfires. Mm -hmm.